All right, good morning, Chapel Hill. <clears throat> if you remember, I got up here last week and uh, told you I was sick and was hoping to make it through the service. Guess what? <laughs> Still there. Um, man, this is a, this is a rough one. Um, this has gone through kind of a weightlifters bar type of experience where it started with something really heavy and and then in the middle it felt like it was getting better but that bar still weighs 45 pounds and and now I'm at the other end where it feels really heavy again so um, my apologies I don't have a ton of energy right now Um, however I got a little charge in my heart as I'm standing down here in the front and my worship leader stands up in front of you and says I deny the resurrection (laughs) And then about 25 minutes passed before he said the next thing to clarify that. So (laughs) I'm at least awake now. All right, if you do not have a Bible with you this morning, you're going to need one to follow along in. So if you don't have a Bible or Bible app, just go ahead and put your hand up and our ushers will get you one that you can follow along in as we um, dig in and continue to explore the kingdom of God and um, what it means here to move this generation from culture to kingdom. This is a really important message in the midst of all that. For the last two weeks, we've been looking at the issue of who holds the center spot in our targets. We've looked at the influence that our culture has on us, mixed with our own selfish nature that we were born with as broken image bearers, and we realize between those two factors and more that we have an unhealthy obsession with self. And that's not news to any of us. So we tried to reorganize things, at least in our minds, with this graphic that we looked at of a target. And we hopefully left last week with a concrete picture in our minds of how things are meant to be. God at the center, then others, then self. And this makes so much sense. Life actually gets easier the more we embrace this. The weight of responsibility for things we were not meant to manage is lifted. We are not the hope of the world anymore. We're not even the hope of ourselves We have someone to believe in who has none of the limitations that we do. We have someone at the center who is much wiser, more powerful, and infinitely more reliable than we are. It makes no sense whatsoever to consider for even a second that I should remain at the center of my own existence. So why are we so dumb? Why do we keep pushing this and putting ourselves at the center? And It's no wonder that Jesus referred to us as sheep. It makes sense then. But God at the center, then others, then self. That is our normal as followers of Jesus. I want to bring you along on another journey I had in the Bible since I saw you last Um, I mentioned last week that I have this image of Jesus in my head that really won't leave me alone. Matthew is the one who showed me this in his writings in the book of Matthew. And so turn to Matthew chapter 9 now. And we'll start by reading the passage and then we're going to dive in together. And this is incredibly 
helpful to me in my personal quest to put God at the center and then others and then self. This is Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. This is what Matthew writes there. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Um, this is a pretty familiar passage for many of us. I've seen this passage and I've, and I've read the words many, many times. But once again, here I am. And, and it was different for me this time. How does, how does God's spirit do this? It's almost as if God's living right inside me, opening my mind and my heart to see the things that he wants me to see. Yeah, actually, that's his job. That's what he does. That's how it's supposed to be. And I encourage you to ask for that in your own life because that's ours. The spirit does that for us. So ask for it. Keep your Bible open there and let's dive in. Matthew writes that Jesus saw the crowds and I love that because I like observing crowds. Maybe that's why this resonates so much with me. I'm, I'm not much for working the crowd, but I do enjoy surveying the crowd. And here Matthew picks up on Jesus' view of the crowd and he records Jesus' reaction to the crowd that he sees. And that gives me a great and very personal picture of who Jesus is. So I wanted to build on this encounter because this is a thing that just keeps um, resonating with me. I keep seeing this over and over again in my head. Um, So I knew God was trying to tell me something. So I recalled that Jesus had some other crowds in his life that he encountered. And a word search revealed something that really caught me off guard. I searched the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, for the word crowds. Now listen to this contrast. The word crowds shows up in the gospel of Mark once. It shows up in the book of Matthew 26 times. 26. Luke has more than Mark or John, but not even half the number of times that it's found in Matthew. Matthew seems to have an obsession with the crowds. So I couldn't leave that alone. There's a very deliberate picture being painted by God's spirit through Matthew. He wants us to see something. At the very least, he wanted me to see something. And so you being my captive audience, he obviously wants you to see something too. And I believe this is a critical component of what he's teaching us about his kingdom. Jesus didn't just face a crowd once. He was surrounded by crowds frequently. And he responded to the masses in a way that we were meant to mimic as his image bearers. Let me give you a quick sampling of his encounters, and I won't mention even half of them, but this is, this is what kept surprising me. 
In Matthew 5, Jesus started with a crowd that he taught. He gave them this little message that we call the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 8, he finds himself surrounded by another crowd. We're looking at Jesus' reaction to the crowd mentioned in Matthew 9. In Matthew 11, he spoke to a crowd. In Matthew 13, a great crowd gathered again. In Matthew 14, we see another crowd that Jesus had compassion for, according to Matthew. Crowds came to him again in Matthew 15. In Matthew 17, there's a crowd. In Matthew 19, large crowds followed him. In Matthew 20, a great crowd followed him there as well. Crowds came right until the end of Jesus' life. This was part of Jesus' pattern. Everywhere he went, there were people. And there certainly were times when Jesus made an effort to get away and be by himself. That's a very specific and legitimate, there's a very specific and legitimate reason for that. That kind of retreat is something that we all need, some of us more than others. But we all face the crowds as well. All around us are people. And these crowds may not be pursuing us as if we were celebrities, but the people are there. So what was Jesus doing with the crowds? This is important to me. It separates us from Jesus, but then it brings us right back together again. So look at our passage, Matthew chapter 9. We're not going to back up really far, but go back to verse 18. And let's go from there to our passage in verse 35. A little quick summary. On the way to raise a girl from the dead, Jesus is interrupted by a woman touching his garment. Well, correction, the fringe of his garment. Being God, Jesus knows what's happened and he turns to see who it was as if he actually needed to ask or see. And he heals a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. And I'm not going to dive deep into that story. It was an amazing encounter. But she's healed. And then Jesus carries on to visit the house of a local ruler and, he, and raises his daughter from the dead. From there, he proceeds to heal two blind men. They had faith. He had power. He touched them, and they were healed. Then in verse 32, a demon-possessed man who was mute was brought to him. And Jesus, the holder of limitless power, sends the demon on its way, and that man is also healed. So let me pose a question here. Is there anything that he can't do? A dumb question. There isn't. And here's why this is important for me to see and to show you this morning. As we face the crowds in our lives, this, this has to be in order. There's so many reasons why Jesus belongs at the center of our existence. As he walks from point A to point B, Jesus heals a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, raises a girl from the dead, heals two blind men, and casts a demon out of another. Never mind how I would respond to the crowds. That's irrelevant. Let's do this the way Jesus does it, with his power, his love, his grace, his forgiveness. 
Let's just follow his lead. Keep him at the center. I want to see what Jesus saw and I want to do what Jesus did. And so Jesus has to stay at the center for me. And then he's the answer, not me. Matthew says that Jesus saw the crowds and that he had compassion for them. There's a lot that's hiding in the simple statement, Jesus saw the crowds. It starts with the eyes of Jesus. And I'm not how brown they were, how long his lashes were. This is about his viewpoint. When Jesus looked at all these crowds he encountered, what did he see? Well, obviously he saw people. I see people all the time. So do you. We're surrounded by them, just like Jesus was. But there's a difference between having people cross our line of sight and actually seeing people. Jesus saw people, even crowds. There are people in our lives that we see. People close to us, people that we care about, people that we allow to enter our inner circle. But what about the crowds, that next layer, that next level? So let's take a shot at imagining what Jesus would see today. What about today's crowds? Well, let's start close to home. Jesus saw me. I am the crowd. I can't just separate myself from the things that we study in the Bible. This is not a detached observation about Jesus. This is real to me and this is real to you, to each and every one of you. I am not merely a human that happened to cross Jesus' line of sight. Jesus saw me. He saw me and he responded to me. Jesus saw me and had compassion for me. And Jesus became the shepherd that this harassed and helpless sheep needed. Jesus also sees our cultural crowd. We're talking these days about moving this generation from culture to kingdom. Jesus sees this generation. He sees the crowd that occupies this planet right now. He sees every one of us. Jesus knows what has happened to this generation. He knows how we got to where we are. He sees how previous generations have influenced and impacted this one. He sees the chain reactions throughout history that have put us on the course that we're on right now. But he doesn't see this generation as a generation with a name or a label. He sees every human spirit that he's created as individuals and he sees us as a generation. His vision regarding this world is incomparable. So Jesus sees me, he sees my culture and my world, and he sees my life crowd. Here's what I mean by that. Jesus had a multitude of people that crossed his line of sight when he was alive. Matthew called them the crowds. They kept showing up in Jesus' life. Well, they, kept, they keep showing up in our lives too. We have our crowds 
They're in our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools, our teams. They're the people that cross our line of sight regularly. Jesus sees them, not just as a crowd. He sees them as people. He sees them as shepherdless sheep. And you can guess what he's inviting us to do. So let's picture our crowd. I want you to picture your crowd right now. Get their faces in your head, the faces of your neighbors. Think about your coworkers. Students look around you in your second period math class. Who's on your soccer team? These are our crowds. Of course, they're not following us around, waiting for us to perform our next miracle, to heal someone, to deliver someone from a demon, to raise someone from the dead. But wouldn't it be something if they were following us around to see God's power demonstrated in our lives? Never mind that for now. Just picture them and really look at them. Get those faces in your head. How do you see them? Describe them to yourself and be honest about your assessment of them. Be honest about the presence of judgment or apathy in your assessment, including your judgment and your apathy. Now try seeing them the way that Jesus would see them. And, and I don't like doing this either, so I'm not criticizing any of you. This makes me squirm. Do we see the crowds in our lives as harassed and helpless? And remember, I'm not talking about the faceless masses that we pass in the mall. I'm talking about the familiar faces. You know who I mean. Those people are vulnerable to the enemy's attack. He wants to devour them. We're told that by Jesus himself. Their enemy is harassing them constantly. He prowls around with a big stupid grin on his ugly face and takes shots at them in a myriad of ways. It's what he does and this world is his kingdom for now. So he sets out to accomplish this plan of his with cunning and precision. Do you want to know what else is true of our crowds? They can't save themselves. This is a whole different picture than the one that I've had in the past of people who I thought certainly could save themselves. And have just chosen out of ignorance or selfishness or something else to reject the help that was so obviously available to them. This is a picture of someone who was created by the same loving God who created me and was born a broken image bearer like me into a world filled with broken image bearers like me. A world that happens to be ruled for now by someone who wants to destroy them for his own pleasure. And I had a story from my childhood come to mind as I was writing this. This is a weird one. 
but this is how my mind goes. So it took me back to when I was a little boy and our family used to go on family walks on a regular basis. And my mind went back to this one particular walk that we were on as a family, the five of us and our dog. And we're walking down by the Fraser River where we lived and um, we often went there and we had our little rat dog with us, um, a hairy little mutt that my sister's named Tammy. <sighs> Ugly little dog, I'm sorry. And as we were walking our little dog on her leash, another dog shows up down the path. And Tammy, having a brain to match her tiny little body, barks at the other dog, a Doberman. <laughs> now, the Doberman didn't really like that. And the Doberman was not on a leash, and so promptly charged our ugly little dog and proceeded to attempt to destroy Tammy. And as a little boy, I had three choices ahead of me, three options that I could pick. Number one was self-preservation. Run. And hope that maybe the Doberman swallowing Tammy would at least slow the Doberman down a little bit so that I could get away and save my own life. Number two, I could cross my arms, roll my eyes, look at Tammy and say, you are so stupid. Why would you bark at that dog and just judge her for deserving what she got? Option number three, intervene. And shockingly, as a little boy, I intervened. And while my dog... My dog, my dad, was trying to pull this Doberman off our dog. I am kicking this Doberman frantically as fast and as hard as I could to rescue my ugly little dog. Because my little dog, as unimpressive as she was, was harassed and helpless. And she couldn't save herself. Like a sheep out in the wilderness on its own, vulnerable to the wolves or whatever else comes along to harass it. My crowd is harassed and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. They don't have anyone to provide for them. They don't have anyone to protect them. No one to offer them truth, love, grace. And they need Jesus more than my stupid little dog needed me. At one point in time, over 2,000 years ago, there were some crowds in the same predicament and so Jesus came to take on the Doberman. And he won. And they got a shepherd and all they had to do was accept him. And today's crowd still have that same shepherd available to save them. 
Someone just needs to see today's crowds the way that Jesus saw that day's crowds. And let them know that the shepherd's offer is still good. When Jesus sat down with that first crowd, he had a few things to say to them, a little speech called the Sermon on the Mount. And we're not going to analyze that work of art this morning. We tackled that years ago and it took us months. But I looked at it again and I was looking for broad sweeping themes and this is what I saw this time. What did Jesus have to say to that crowd? And I saw four things that just jumped out at me right away. First, Jesus blessed them. He opened his message for them with blessing. He didn't just randomly do this. His blessings were kingdom blessings. He described the kinds of people who received blessings in the kingdom. It was beautiful. And it was so encouraging and so comforting for those people and for us. And then he reminded them of their true identity. The one that was found in their creator. Things like their identity as light and salt. And then he spoke a lot of truth to them. He gave them light in the midst of their darkness. And he offered hope. The hope of eternity and more. Because this is what the kingdom does. It blesses, it doesn't curse. The kingdom reminds people of their true identity. It doesn't mislead them with false ones. The kingdom offers truth. It could never lie to people about an absence of absolute truth. And the kingdom offers hope that goes far beyond this earthly temporal life that people are led to believe is it. So what do we do with our crowds then? Well, church, see them for starters. We have to see them, really see them, see their state the way Jesus did and have compassion for them. Bless them. There will always be a way that we can bless someone. That is agape love. The blessing's not conditional. Remind them of their identity, the one that they may be having a hard time finding. Speak truth to them, remembering that God's image is there in them. And so truth is not necessarily going to offend them. Offer hope, speak openly of eternity, make it as real to them as it is to you. And never, ever let up. Even from his place on the cross, Jesus had compassion for the crowd. Jesus saw his crowds as harassed and helpless. He sees ours the same way. 
he'd see people being convinced that sexuality is at the core of their identity. That's not from him. He'd see people lured into the love of money, also not from him. He'd see people being deceived into thinking that this life is all that there is. He'd see people being told over and over that they are at the center of their existence. He'd see people being led to believe that life is a battle for first place. He'd see people being urged to cut others down for the sake of their own sense of worth. He'd see crowds being convinced that they're alone and that's how it was meant to be. He'd see crowds being pushed to find a way out of this life through alcohol, drugs, addiction of all kinds, and even suicide. He'd see crowds being lied to about God. He'd see crowds being lied to about truth. He'd see crowds being lied to about love. He'd see crowds being lied to about happiness. He'd see crowds being lied to and deceived and abused and attacked like sheep who have no one to provide for them and no one to protect them. And what would he do? He'd do exactly the same thing that he did back then. He'd put them before himself. He'd give his life for them. He'd be their shepherd. And he'd ask those he rescued to do the same. to put others before themselves and point the crowds to the one who can provide for and protect them perfectly. He'd ask them to love their neighbor. To love the guy across the street who's obsessed with money and status. To love the couple a few houses down from him who have lost their identity. To love the woman who drinks heavily to escape her, her reality. To love the single mom who needs to know how valuable she is. To love the guy who wants to follow Jesus but can't fight the temptation to conform on his own. To love the old couple who believes that religion is the way to God. To love the quiet couple next door who just want to get the best they can out of this one life. To love the single guy down the street who's barely noticed as he comes and goes under the radar. To see the crowd that makes up my neighborhood and have compassion for them. To put them before myself. To see them as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I was one of those sheep and the shepherd found me. So now what? I'm gonna invite the ushers to come up now and the worship team as well. We're gonna wrap up our time together with a focus on the one who belongs at the center. 
And in your bulletin this morning, you're going to see at the bottom of the center page uh, our prayer focus for ourselves as a church this morning. And, and it is a focus for us to be, a prayer for us to be a compassionate church. So will you pray that with me this morning? Let's pray. God, I want to thank you again for this picture that you've given me of Jesus that I can't seem to shake and for how it's becoming clearer and more personal and and for how I realize that this is a part of this broken image bearer that you want to restore. And I ask, Father, that you do this work in every single one of us. I know it's not just me. But I want so badly for us to see our crowds the way Jesus would see our crowds. I thank you for what you've shown us in Matthew. I thank you for the fact that, that you had him focus on these crowds and that at least three times he mentions that Jesus had compassion for them. And for the beautiful reality that Matthew's an account that was written primarily for your people. So help us to listen, help us to see God, I thank you that you have invited us to put you at the center of our target, the center of our existence. And that from there, we draw on your example. We draw on what we see in Christ. We realize that he is the answer, that, that this, is, this is where we're pointing people, not to us, because we, we're getting ourselves out of the center, but we're pointing people to you. We're pointing people to Jesus. We're pointing people to your spirit. We're pointing people to the source. And I ask that you would help us to put others before ourselves more and more. I know it's going to come the more we put you at the center, the more we focus on you and make you number one. So help us with that. Help us to do that. Thanks for the pictures that you give us, the words that you speak to us, the, the accounts that have been written down of Jesus' life and his encounters with individuals and with crowds for all that we can learn from it. I pray that you would make this church a more compassionate church. This would be a characteristic that grows in us all the time. We get stronger and stronger and brighter and brighter. Thank you for all that you're doing here. Thank you for the way that you are ministering to the crowds through each one of these people that's here, for the way that your light is shining through them. Shine brighter. Help us as we put you at the center. And then others and then self. We give ourselves to you for these purposes in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen.